Alrighty, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson, but also our good friend, Mrs. Kristen Burford. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, excited to be here for the video. Yeah, podcast. yeah, because you were one of the first episodes that we did a long time ago. Yep. If anybody hasn't listened to that, they should go um, listen to it. But Kristen, in case somebody for some reason whatsoever doesn't know who you are, introduce yourself briefly and just kind of say what you do at Cibolo. Sure. Uh, so at Cibolo, I'm the adult ministries pastor, which today means that I care for several different teams. I like how you say today. Today. Uh, <laughs> Ever-changing. But you know, this it has been true. 10 years. So Is it really? Yeah. That you've been in that it's role? No. It's coming no, up that on you've 10. you've been on our staff. Yes. So in 10 years, my roles have changed. Oh, okay. So, so that's it, why yes. I say today. Yeah. yeah. Time goes by fast, huh? It does. I was does. six in August. What? Really? That's oh, crazy. If you count intern years, which I do. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're good. You're I good. thought you meant I was six when she started on staff. <laughs> if you were going to agree with that, I was 15. Throw the headphones down. I was down, confused. I was confused. Yeah. Go ahead. So today, I care for the welcome teams, which is guest services and hospitality uh, for local outreach and global. So kind of both ends of the spectrum, people coming in and then people walking out their faith on the other end. Uh, and then our prayer team as well. Um, but I'm also a wife and a mom, um, probably my first roles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, not probably, probably. <laughs> not probably definitely my first, first role. So I have a 27 year old, uh, 22 and soon to be 15 just entered high school. Very nice. Yeah, and he does fishing with my dad. He does. So Wyatt's dad is his fishing captain this year. Oh, okay. For the fishing club. Super right. exciting. Yep. Uh, Bass Club of Champions. A uh, lot of lot of fishermen uh, at Cibolo Creek in the youth group. So, yeah. Fishers of men. I mean, yeah, there, there you go. go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know who's luckier. Is it Tim or is it your, your dad? I think they're both happy with the situation. They're My really? dad was kind of frustrated last year because the guys just weren't into it as much as he was. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, he's very happy that Tim is sold out. They're both very excited. I do see my um, fishing bill going up, though, mm -hmm. at Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> but no, yep. it's all good. Yeah, my all mother's good. complained about that once or twice. <laughs> what's mean, that What's that mean? If you teach your kid how to fish, you'll steer them clear of alcohol and drugs and all those things because you won't have money to spend. That's exactly anything. right. <laughs> that's exactly all poured into boats and yeah. fishing was, gear. My mind went like, oh, yeah, because like he's spending out time. Like he's he knows more like, you know, the quietness of life and solitude and God and <laughs> no, stuff. Just, no. Nope, he's broke. Mr. Wilson, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Very good. Are you, um, I know we've been talking since sabbatical, but I guess you're probably finally back into the, you're probably back into the, the new swing of things. Uh, closer than I was still, still kind of wish I was on sabbatical. Yeah. Don't blame me there. Um, but no, um, starting to feel engaged again and got plenty on my plate. So no time to be wasting. Yeah. I had lunch. I was going to tell you guys, I had lunch with a friend. Um, this afternoon and found out he listens to the podcast pretty regularly. Oh, and, um, we had an interesting conversation. I was asking him, tell me about your experience and what do you think? And 
He says, I'm still kind of getting used to how long it is. And I said, oh, please don't start with this. Uh, we got lots of people who have questions Just about Just pause that. it. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. No, he spends a lot of time in his car. So he, um, he listens then. And I said, do you listen like to the whole episode at one time or do you kind of break it up? He says, generally because of him getting in and out of his car during the day, he kind of breaks it up. But uh, he really enjoys the um, conversational format. And he really enjoys getting to know you. He oh, mentioned yeah? specifically, I'm enjoying getting to know Wyatt and a little bit of what makes him tick and how he thinks. And well, I put it out there. Yeah. So I don't hold back a whole lot on this thing. So Wyatt and I celebrate anytime we have a conversation with somebody other than our moms who listens to the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's plenty of listeners. Yeah. I've yeah. had conversations with people who listen as well. So you're not Were the they only good? one. They were good conversations. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yep. For sure. And people who've learned things from the podcast, more importantly. Yeah. So, oh, good. Yeah. That's kind of what we would hope is that people listen to the conversation. Because, I mean, like, I do hardly any prep for this. And I know a little bit more onus is on, you know, you guys, I guess, and Paul. Um, but <clears throat> just learning, like, the flow of the conversation. Because, like, stuff comes up. I learn stuff in it. So if I'm learning stuff in it, I would hope other people also listen. And learn while they listen. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, ask themselves some questions. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think I've heard that a few times too. It made them think differently, which yeah. is great. Super. Well, very good. Well, um, so whenever I wanted to have Kristen on the podcast, I asked her some things that she might want to talk about, um, knowing that us three can have great conversations. So I wasn't let down by your answers. Um, but we're going to start off with the local church. And, um, so I guess I'll just open it up this way. What, what is a local church? What is its function? What is its purpose? What is it supposed to fulfill? Who's starting? Makes no difference. You're the one in graduate school. Yeah. So one of the things <laughs> I didn't mention that has changed in life, uh, is that I have been taking uh, seminary classes. And I think what, when you asked me that, Probably that played into why I said, let's talk about church and what church so. is. Um, you know, there's this, I don't know if this is true, um, Paul, if you've heard this, but I've heard lots of folks who've been through seminary say that that's the role of seminary is to sort of break down what your beliefs are first <laughs> and then build, them, build back them back up. Yeah, I thought, I well, the that's, Marines. that's kind of, yeah, I'm not sure I, I like that situation, but it happens. Right. And so I think um, my understanding of and maybe my appreciation for the local church has really shifted because of those mm. conversations that we've had um, theological conversations but also you know the interaction of of church and culture um, it's just been a really uh, great reminder of the role of the local church and really probably, Bigger than that, uh, the church being where uh, kingdom is walked out. Um, so I, I don't know if. So it's okay to go ahead. What what in your mind is the local church? That's Broad a, enough for that's you? A great question. That's a, that's a that's a great question. So you would think, right, as someone who is over local and global, and that's where my passion is. Um, I could very easily go into uh, the local church is the capital C, anybody that's out doing work uh, in the name of Christ or kingdom work 
uh, people like to call it that, is the, the church. Anybody actively participating in um, the body of Christ out in our world. But I don't think that. I do think the local church is a gathering of people um, that have committed themselves to one another and to their uh, mission uh, for Christ in their community and the people that they uh, interact with. And um, I'm even starting to uh, feel as far as um, that maybe, okay, so there's this school of thought that um, if you aren't in a local church, no matter what you're doing for Christ, shouldn't call it kingdom work. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's great. What's an example of that? Like, so, are you talking about like missionary? So that's where a lot of people go first, right? Is yeah. missionaries. I'm still struggling with that one because yeah. I think on some level, missionaries, particularly missionaries in the 1040 uh, region where you can't plant a church, um, you can't proselytize. So they're doing... Um, they're teaching people about Christ in other ways. Yeah, your work would be cut short if you yeah. were like, here's a church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, it falls apart there. That's the part I'm struggling with a little bit. Um, but I do think in this era of um, church hurt versus church abuse, hopefully we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, deconstruction, that it's really easy for people to say, well, I'm going to go do this thing on my own with an organization or um, just on my own, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go um, on a mission. And that takes the place of uh, yeah. connect, being connected to a local church. And I think um, for a lot of reasons, that's become our new lingo that can be hurtful to God's work in our world. Yeah, I've, people get a little too liberal with the verse where two or three are gathered, like there I am, and then they just like, well, that's a church, and it's like, well, I don't know, right? Like, I, I feel like that's a justification that can be used to support that. What are your thoughts? That would be, uh, in my mind, an inappropriate justification. Sure, yeah. I mean, like that's in, in her example, in her example of people who are no are are not part of the local church, mm -hmm. but they're with three buddies. Yeah. Is that, that's not the local church. Not in my mind, no. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was saying. So the exercise I do from time to time is try to imagine church without any of the contemporary structures or systems. Imagine no buildings. Imagine no staff. Imagine no Sunday morning services. No, no ministries, no, you know, children's department, student department, adult, uh, department. Imagine, um, none of that existed. Can a local church still exist in my mind? Yes. I agree. Okay. My mind is that a local church kind of teeing off what Kristen said, there's, there's the universal church that's Christian's the worldwide, but we're talking about local church. So I think a local church is 
I like the word family. It's a it's a group of Christians who have united or banded together as a family to do one thing, to do what Jesus invited his disciples to do. And so as long as they're doing that, they could do that anywhere. They could do that at any time. And in many ways, they could do that any way. They don't have to do that. Like, we're going to sing some songs, and we're going to have a message, and we're going to do this and that. So independent of all those contemporary structures that we assign to the words going to church, like even going to church is, is really um, incompatible with the design of church. We are the church. We just happen to all live in the same city, get together in a variety of environments, hopefully to grow in our faith and to do the work that Christ has called us to do. And when I imagine that kind of a scenario, I think we're getting back to the truest expression of what Christ thought of when he thought of the church without all of the certainly without all the professional organizational uh, trappings that the church is attached to these days. Yeah. So I like, I like family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and, you know, local, meaning, again, what Kristen said, a group of people committed to serving their town, their city, the people that are their neighbors. It's where you live, right? Yeah, it's where you live. And as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go about your, you know, your social routines of life, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ and you're doing what a disciple of Jesus does. And I, that to me is the truest expression of a church. Now, granted, there has to be some sort of a organization or assembly of, you know, how do you get all these people together um and that that ends up bringing in some sort of organizational um overlay and i don't i think i think the early church had some sort of organizational overlay but i don't think it's become i don't think it was anything close to the corporate or overlay that the local church knows today yeah the other thing that strikes me about the Acts Church was it was counter to their community. It was counter to their world. It was counter to the things that were happening in their culture. And when there's a, a group of people committed to the same things, working out um, Christ's way of how we deal with one another, just like in a family, um, it is a witness. It's, it's what says to our world, they do things differently. Why? Or um, they handle conflict in a way that our world doesn't. So I also think it's really important that the local church be different. That, you know, and, and that's, that sounds simplistic, but in our world today, because, you know, the Acts Church, they didn't have a comparison. <laughs> Even early church, there was no comparison. 
because there was no YouTube, there was no social media. You weren't watching other churches. Oh, yeah. You didn't you didn't know what the church in, you know, the city three cities away, how they were doing church or what they were doing. And I think now we have started to look like church looks like a lot of other things yeah. in our world. It looks sometimes like a concert or it looks sometimes like a a theater or it looks sometimes like you know, just it isn't a whole lot different. And I think that's part of the deconstruction process is um, why do I, why would I do church if I have all that? I can, I can get oh, all that. You anywhere. have access to that on social. I have access yeah. to that, to that anywhere. Yeah. You're essentially just a community group at that point. Like Exactly. And, and, and we're not committing I think this is where I'm starting to be really passionate about we're, I mean, Paul, you and I've talked about this. Our church backgrounds are similar and there's a lot that I can look back on and think, yeah, maybe not great, but there's a lot about that um, environment too, that planted this foundation of uh, family. So just as an example, I have a, uh, lady who was my Sunday school teacher, like for a lot of years, who today, every single morning, 530, I know it's her because my phone goes, makes a buzzing noise. She sends me some devotional. Mm. And I was thinking the other day, that's the depth of what, what, what that church committed to in people over time and over generations. And even amongst the ugly of a bunch of humans all being together, you know, having to work that out, there was some foundation there that, that we're missing. And so that commitment to a local church over time, not if you're being abused, not if there's, you know, things that are fundamentally wrong, but if you are leaving for reasons, I think we have to look at the, at the reasons why you leave a church because you do a disservice to yourself and you do a disservice to your family when you're pulling up those roots and trying to replant them other places. Mm. I agree. Yeah, I don't know on that. Um, you were talking about how the church oftentimes, it, it, they're kind of cookie cutter, so they all kind of look similar and, and um, we're trying to attract the culture in a way. So like in our attempt to get more butts in the seats inside the building, We've trained our people to be consumers. And then whenever they're upset with some product that we have, because their mind is changing along with the culture, we're surprised that they then deconstruct or they leave. And it's like, well, we've trained them to be this way. And then we are upset at them. I don't think that's fair. And I know that it, none of that, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But uh, in church's attempts to be attracted to the culture and, and to mirror it almost and not do what you said, um, yeah, that's been the consequence. Do you, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Do you think though, yes, I agree with you, Wyatt, on that. We have trained consumers to some extent. The evangelical church yeah. has, has trained consumers. Um, but I also think we haven't, we haven't always behaved as a family where you allow, um, doubts to be expressed and heard. And I think if we gave more room for that 
and allowed for that, um, there would be less walk away. Um, I think we, um, one of the best definitions, and I know we're not there yet, but one of the best definitions I heard about um, deconstruction, um, it separates it into kind of two different pathways of that. But the healthy deconstruction, um, they talk about people deconstruct and step away because they're, it's really about doubts. It isn't about um, turning a, their back on Christianity altogether. It's, I have some questions, like these things aren't marrying up and I have nowhere to go with them. So it's just easier to walk away or safer to walk away. And so, yeah, we've trained consumers, but I I also think we haven't, I don't think we've made space um, for those questions. Yeah. And and so I would say, I agree. And I don't even think that it is in contention with what I said, because whatever we were selling, whatever a church that doesn't allow doubts is selling, well, the consumer didn't like it. And so we got upset. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and all, and we can get into that after a while, but like, obviously what the doubts are and, and how the church responds is incredibly important. Cause I've heard a lot that churches, apparently it's not, it's not common that, uh, churches or even Christians deal with, uh, answering or fielding those questions. And that probably comes from insecurity of not knowing how. Right. And so some of this deconstruction thing is actually helpful because it, it makes you have to understand your position and justify it. And like we write what Peter says, ha- have a reason for the hope that you claim. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. I, I go back again to the family thing. So much of our contemporary expression of church is it's a presentation. It's an experience. It's um, something that you come and watch. It's a spectator kind of sport. And we put so much time and energy into those large, you know, public gatherings that most people, I mean, they, they have to really dig down deep into the life of the church to begin the relational connection to where they feel like family and they have to be with it for a while. You know, it's interesting at Cibolo right now, we have people who've been there for, you know, 20, 25 years and they have a, depth of relationship and a loyalty to each other that I, it's just unparalleled. It's just beautiful. And, you know, fortunately I get to be enmeshed in some of that because I've been there for 25 years and I am convinced that they experience Cibolo Creek in a way that's very different than some of our newest attendees who haven't been around and don't have a history, don't have a, an affinity with you know, the mission and the heartbeat and the, the DNA of our church. And so th- that may just take time, but they, they just really don't connect with our church in the same way that these other folks do. And, and if all their experience, for the new folks, if their only experience is I come on Sunday mornings and I watch and then I leave, or I, you know, participate in a serving opportunity now and then, but I don't do groups and I don't get involved in a, you know, weekly serving team, then they just don't build the relational connection that ends up 
in time feeling like family. And, and because of that, then it's just easier to leave it. It's just easier to find something uh, else to do on a Sunday or something's more attractive or pressing. So I, I, my, my heartbeat is, and my dream is how do you create a family that's a family feel and a family dynamic that's so rich that uh, whether we ever had services again or not, there'd still be a loyalty and there to one another, and there'd be a um, a thirst to what are we doing to help our city? What are we doing to encourage one another? There's just a real natural, organic sort of love for each other based on a shared faith in Christ. It, it, it wouldn't need any of the structures. So when, are there any, are there any like overarching principles that, and an order of principles, not hierarchy, calm down. Um, I'm going back to overarching or overarching. Uh, depends if you're literate. Apparently I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but are there any principles that, uh, the church or, or roles that it, it should play some functions that it should play? So like, maybe let's just name some of those. Like what is, is there a one, two, and three of this is our first goal, no matter the church, like the local church? I would say so. So that means, first of all, I think family, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters united around a shared faith in Jesus. I think um, ambassadors, and I'm looking at that more from a gospel sense, that they are to be witnesses on behalf of Christ to their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, so they're ambassadors in their community. And then servant, um, truly driven from a heart to want to help other people in their home, in their neighborhood, in their schools, in their workplaces, as an expression of the love of Jesus for those around them. So family, ambassador, and servant, this immediately pop in my mind is that is what the church is. And I'd go so far as to say, if the church isn't that, then it's, it's not really a church, not in the, the truest biblical or spiritual sense of that word. And I think all of those cover exactly um, what the values are that you laid out is that we value the gospel first and foremost. And we value um, authenticity, which I think is wrapped up in what you said is like, you know, just not pretending that we have it all together or leaving space for those um, questions. Um, Being together, you know, um, it's a little bit different when you're together in person. It just oh, is. I mean, there's not even a know, little bit different. It's yeah, enormously different. Yep. Not and we so hear much. those stories all the time about uh, people who did come back after, you know, a year or two and, you know, just broke down crying in worship just yeah. because the sense of that is so is so different. And then compassion. I mean, those those four values, I think, were were brilliantly laid out. And if we're not that um, there's a problem. I, I also think that. um one of the roles of a church is what happens amongst each other. So, you know, we can <clears throat> talk from the front. We can 
play songs from the front. We can offer all the things. But one of the most important ways that churches walked out are in those little moments of interaction or crisis or um, joys or um, I need helps, you know, just the one-on-one of those personal relationships. And um, it just doesn't make any sense to say that we're a church and do all the things on a Sunday and then somebody is um, sitting in their home lonely, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do. They call the church, they try to reach out to someone and, and, you know, nobody from their life group responds or we don't respond or whatever. It's just um, how we walk that out in our world is as important as what we do on that Sunday morning, if not more. Yeah. Which goes back to my earlier comment is if you take away all the structures and the, you know, the systems do you still have a family that's caring for each other and doing the work of Christ? And I think it's possible. Yes. And, but you're describing it exactly the way I see it is if somebody comes to our services, but they're dying a slow death of, you know, some sort of trauma in, you know, in the privacy of their home because nobody knows them and nobody cares for them, then we are missing the point. We're not translating what we learn in a service to basically the expression of what we. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of churches have felt clicky in the past. Um, and I'm sure that, I mean, those types of things exist, you know, in every church to a certain, certain degree with certain people. Um, so like, that's a problem. But then I guess like with those people that come, cause like, for instance, there could be somebody that comes and sits into the Sunday service and then dips right after every single Sunday. And we would literally have no idea they were there if they didn't want to know. Um, and so like, the, I guess uh, we, uh, can we, we just have to take responsible for like all that we can do to try to get that person connected, right? You're in a assimilation. So I'm just, this is like top of the mind. Cause it's like, we can't beat ourselves up if that person never tries to connect at all, but then gets angry if we're not connecting with them. And it's like, well, we didn't even know you were there. Yes, as long as we're making yes. the efforts fully, absolutely. And that's okay. Do you know how many stories we have of people coming for long periods of time, sitting in the back, dipping out, and it just, they were not ready to say, I'm here and I need to ask some questions. And I think too, we just, I think we also have to, um, it's taken me a long time to get this place, but just be okay with God's timing on some of those things, you know, he could do all of this without any of our (laughs) running around and putting all the programs in place and all the people. And, you know, as church staff, we angst about all those things. And sometimes you just have to step back and go, it's okay. God knows they're there. And if you're faithfully doing what I've asked you to do and you're living within your gifts and and watching for the places that he needs you to be and attuned to that, then you're right. I mean, that's what we can do. And then trust that God's going to, going to use that in some way. And there's just been too many stories over, you know, the 10 years I've been there. Um, well, been at the church longer than that, but on staff, there's just so many stories of people. Um, and I immediately, when you say sit in the back and, you know, dip out, I see those faces today of that happening and just thinking, 
it's okay. There's seeds being planted in some way, and we're being faithful as a local church to be a place where they can come, sit in the back, and dip out until they're ready. Yeah, I mean, that's like my family for a good portion. Like, I mean, they they knew people, but they weren't involved, really. They just came and they consumed the thing. But that was also where they were at, kind of like in their walk with Christ. I don't like the term spiritual journey, but... um. <laughs> I was just going to say spiritual journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no, I know you and your new agey phraseology. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> now we just found a new topic for our next podcast. But you know what? Just call it what it is. <laughs> but there still is a push, right? So yeah. at some point, and I think y'all talked about this a little bit. I don't know which podcast, but there is a point at which you have to, you do have to say, Consider the fact that you need to take a next step. Like you, we have to continue to push and offer that, that, you know, your faith isn't, isn't stagnant either. So yeah. it's a balance. No, you're completely right. Cause I think I've even said before, like if somebody has been coming for a long time, I would, cause I've heard people complain about pressure from different pushes or, or um, campaigns that we've even done, whether that be for giving or uh, to do this or that or volunteer or get involved or do small groups. And I'm just like, I'd rather them feel uncomfortable if it's been years than, than not, because if, if there's no, if there's no grinding or, or if there's no um, pressure, then, then there's not going to be a whole lot of reason for them to step out of wherever they're currently at. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, people, the truth of the matter is, and this isn't a slam on anybody because it's true of me too, is we're inherently spiritually lazy. Our yeah. hearts are not naturally inclined to pursue full devotion to God. That's just because of sin nature. And so really the nature of your spiritual influences in your life, like you might think of that you find at a church, whether that's your pastor or, or peers, is there has to be a sense to which they push, that they, we call it, encourage you to take your next, but there has to be some sort of an invitation, challenge, inspiration to go, okay, you're here, but what's the next step? What's, where's the growth areas? It's just like somebody who works out with a personal trainer. That personal trainer at times says, okay, we're here, but we need to go here. So I'm going to ask you to do more of this or harder than this, or, you know, more weight or whatever the workout is. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's so hard. Yeah. But it's in the hard that you get stronger or yeah. more fit. And so, yeah, the church, the, the church can be relentless at always pushing into where it just, it's overwhelming, but there ought to be this encouraging, loving, um, courageous challenge to say, okay, you're here, but you need to be here just like we all need to be somewhere next. Okay. Let's, let's push you that way. Let's challenge you that way. And you know, the church that doesn't do that. And again, I'm not saying it does it every time, but the church that doesn't speak that kind of language about your next step or your, you know, your next area of growth, it's just going to create lazy people and consumers, people who look for the easiest way out. And I, I don't, I mean, I look at the language of Jesus and he wasn't looking to create that. Yeah. He, he asked for hard things because he knew that one, we wouldn't naturally tend that way. 
And two, the real blessing that he has for us is really on the hard side of things because of the faith and the, the, um, the devotion it takes to get there. Well, and those people who don't ever take next steps or they, or they do just become stagnant and kind of lazy, those people are probably the first to go as soon as they either hear something they disagree with or something gets kind of hard just because there's not a whole lot of buy-in on their end. There's not a whole right. lot of investment. They aren't, they don't, you know, maybe they're like distant cousins, but they ain't family really, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, they're, they're going to, they're going to go and then we're going to wonder why, but it's just, they weren't really involved. Yeah. They, were, they didn't feel like they were part of that family because they never wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. I really appreciate what Kristen said about particularly us as pastors, kind of learning to give ourselves the grace about living within God's timing is everybody's at different places. They have different stories and different, you know, catalysts that are going to you know, drive them. One of the neat, one of the early principles of creating, you know, a seeker targeted or seeker, seeker sensitive sort of environment was you allowed people to have anonymity. And that doesn't mean you were unfriendly. That doesn't mean you made no efforts to get them connected to relationship. It's just, you had to honor the fact that they might want to remain anonymous for a while. And you respect that and you allow that, you don't, push, you know, things in their face and say, you got to sign this and you got to do this. You, you allow them to be anonymous, but hopefully you're providing a compelling enough atmosphere and you're making clear the invitation. We'd love to see you get connected to our church through uh, friendships with other people. So here's opportunities for that. You honor the anonymity and then you trust the process and the, the work of God and the the invitation that you're putting out to then watch them, them move. But man, I, and I'm sure Kristen could tell the story too of people who were at our church for a long time before they ever connected relationally. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of one right now. Um, a woman made an appointment to come, you know, see me, talk to me about something. I didn't know she attended Sybil Creek. She, I know now she literally sits in the last row that we have every Sunday. And I don't always get to meet people uh, coming into services because of all that's going on. I like to stand out front or at our back door and greet people, but I don't get to greet everybody. So I, di I didn't know she attended Cibolo. Found out she had some really difficult challenges in her marriage and, and with her uh, husband's health that created challenges in her marriage. And she came in and she was just trying to make sense of that. Well, that was one little, you know, next step. Otherwise, she's just sitting on the back row. And then, sadly, she lost her husband and she invited me to do the funeral. Well, that's a next step. It's just a little bit more ground gained. And then I didn't see her for months because she was hurting. She was steering clear. And I saw her a couple of weeks ago. I was out front greeting folks and I saw her walking up the sidewalk and you know just the power of remembering her name and you can just she absolutely hates it when I like make a big deal you know very energetic sort of celebration that she's there she's no 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 don't do that and I you know try to be careful I don't go overboard on that but you can just see the light in her eyes like Somebody knows I'm here. Somebody knows my name. And I think she would be 
she would be willing to admit, I haven't made much of an effort. I just come and I dip out, I, I leave. But I'm praying for her. I have one of our guest services members who's now identified her. And I, together, this guest service member and I were like, we're, we're going to keep greeting and Love we're going to keep making a fuss and we're going to keep praying. And there's going to come a day that she's a part of the church family, not just an attender who comes and watches. And there's such power in, I, I love it when you say that one little next step, there's power in us as the church celebrating those steps, like those yeah. little bitty steps. It doesn't mean, and not judging that she's not in a life group or she's no. not, you know, walking into a class or any of those things. We hope that for her. We hope that there's some of the, those things, but it is a huge celebration that she's willing to take yep. in her context, in her life, those those baby steps. And I think that's where as a as a church, when you put in all those things, you were saying the processes and you know, you add all the things that that weren't there, we start to want those things to work well and to yeah. be effective, right? But sometimes then it's it's really easy to cross that line and go, well, they're not in this or they're not doing that activity. And we lose sight of just the person themselves and the context in which they're battling for their own faith and, yeah. and understanding. And, um, and I think it's where, you know, that church hurt thing has, has blossomed yeah. is in, in the way that church has um, encouraged people to do all the church things, and when as they some kind of a measure, as some of kind of a measure, yeah. yep, as yeah. some kind of a measure, and then um, you know when when they didn't, there was some sort of judgment uh, placed on that, yeah. or when life fell apart, well then you should have been doing, or you know those <laughs> yeah. kinds of those kinds of um, attitudes and verbiage, and so you know that is church. That's what I think a lot of people are calling church hurt are those those kinds of things yeah. that yeah. that is not the same as church abuse. Sure. Sure. So Yeah, that's like the negative side of what people always call like the religion the religion, the um not tradition, but it's just how rigorous you are about you have to be in these things. Um especially whenever it's like they aren't even, while you're reading the scriptures, like, well, you in our church's Bible study, it's like, well, why does it always have to be your version of whatever that thing is? Um, granted, the church providing those things is what helps build that familial connection. The experience. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, familial. Good familial. job, buddy. I'll tell you, I got that one. Yeah. I mean, not overarching. Um, <laughs> we always talk about words that I'll occasionally come up with. And I'm just going to sit here and listen. I have no idea. Um, but also to what you said, like just remembering somebody's name, I had a case like that with a, a guy that used to go to Cibolo and then he kind of dipped for a while. I'm not really sure, but I, I saw him at the gym and I knew his name and he was like, wow, remember my name? I had recently seen him somewhere on like social media or something. So he was like top of mind. Yeah. Um, but I had also met him in the past, so I already knew, but anyways, it was still fresh. Um, but like me walking in on a Sunday, granted I'm on staff, so like people know me and, you know, having six people say like, hey, Wyatt, morning. Like 
that's awesome. And like Allie being able to come in and like have her different friends that she's made and like Clara and or Clarita and Carlos and like being able to be excited about seeing people yeah. at the place where, you know, at, at your church. It's something that I think is being lost. And I think a lot of that just comes from the numbers. I, I have some theories on this, but like the church has kind of lost some of its function, both the consumeristic mindset, but then also the fact that um, people don't live nearly as close together as they used to. Granted, they have neighborhoods, but we also have cars, so we can go and pick whatever mm. instead of being kind of stuck there with the people that we live next to, our neighbors. Right. And sure. um, and so being able to drive has kind of destroyed a lot of stuff, all the way down to the family, to the church having that that family-like feel. Yeah, looking back on my experience growing up in church, yeah, it was Bible preaching church, theologically deep and rich church. It was, you know, evangelistic, all of those things. But what I really treasure about it is the relationships. So, I mean, those, there were men in that church that were as much, not as much, but they were like dads to me. And there were women in that church that were like moms to me. And not just to me, but to all the kids. And I know everyone is not necessarily on board with this, but those church potlucks that we had. I knew it was coming. Those, those were, those were, that was family. That was like a family reunion. And the church potlucks are essentially the outdoor service that we had that everyone raved about, except exactly. the, except the food was from a, a place, right? Yeah. Okay. So I brought one of my school books. Uh-oh. Specifically, because somehow I knew you knew I'd come you're going to talk about potlucks. If we're going to talk about church, you're going to talk about potlucks. Let's see Acts chapter two, and so they met to together this. in the homes and they ate. I bet you those were potlucks. They weren't catering that. Everybody bought bread. So I, I'm reading. I literally underlined potlucks in here, and it says, "If a flourishing fellowship is the essence of the kingdom." We need to shape church life into kingdom gatherings by enhancing opportunities for fellowship. How can we do this? Small groups that don't overdo the Bible study or theology study dimensions, but include generous times for sharing life. Potlucks or social events for the whole congregation. So wholesome. Amen. They're so wholesome. They are. Thank wholesome you, Wholesome is a great word. We need to go back to it. I've always been on your team on this, by the way. Oh, if goodness. you get anything out of your graduate school studies, I sure hope it's that. It's that. I've always said people just need to invite people to their home for dinner. I mean, you've been saying dinner in Jesus. Yes. For years. Like, for a for long years. time. I've been on yeah. this for a while. I'm I'm all for the fact that a, a small group is completely, or a life group is completely legitimate. If they got together, they shared a meal with each other, they prayed with one another, go home. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that it's, is as much of a spiritual, spiritually rich um experience as any let's go through this curriculum and answer these questions before the chapman's up and left um <laughs> me not bitter about that <laughs> me and the chapman's well i get close to stuart and deb and then they go and i'm like dang it anyways <laughs> me and the chapman's their whole bunch uh, would always go over to the hints and not always but many fridays we'd go and have like shabbat dinner over there yeah. i think you've heard it came yeah. a couple times and um we would, Kate would bake bread. We would do communion, but then we would just eat and all the kids are playing 
And then we would inevitably start talking about something, you yeah. know, faith related or theologically sure. related. You know, uh, Chad Henson's there and he likes to think about things like me. And so, and well, all of them are pretty deep thinkers anyway. But um, yeah, that was. That was that as was much as, church as a yes, Sunday morning. Yes. I said fact, it even at the time. And maybe more. Yes, yep. honestly, the, the last question you asked us in preparation was, is the local church still relevant? If we're doing that, it's still relevant. still relevant. Like that is the thing that is relevant today in what we need. You know, I remember years ago, this was before we came to Texas, we were in Wisconsin and our church there had small groups for people. And so Charlotte and I were in this small group with what, three or four other couples, really lovely people. They were friends of ours, the guys in the group. Every Friday we got together and golfed. I mean, I love these guys. And so we're really close, these six or eight people. But um, Charlotte found the small group meeting lacking. And I remember one time driving home after the meeting, and she wasn't really excited for having been there. I was like, so what, what, what's disappointing to you? She says, well, you know, when we arrive, we all end up in the kitchen. We all end up sitting around the table and we're, you know, eating pie or chips and dip, whatever. And the conversation's so warm and natural and authentic and it's all so good. And then inevitably the leader would say, okay, we, let's go down to the, the bait, the den downstairs. Let's go down and do our study. And we'd, you know, go down the stairs with our books and we'd all sit around the couches and, and then we'd be like going, well, what'd you get out of this verse this week? And how'd you answer that question? And she said, and then it just stopped being a rich experience for me because it was also plastic and rote and predictable. And she said, I, it was in the kitchen that I felt loved. I felt like I belonged. That I felt like it was warm and encouraging. And then we went to the Bible study. And again, I'm the last person to say anything about, wrong about studying the Bible. But the context of that in the group can get really plastic and empty. And it's not necessarily the same sort of rich experience. And I, thought, I found that so instructive. When she, Huge. when she made me aware of that, I was like, yeah. I see exactly what you're describing. And um, so never underestimate the power of the kitchen. Never underestimate the power of a potluck when it comes to <laughs> knitting the body of Christ together. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not being facetious. Acts chapter 2, one of the central activities of the local church was people getting together in homes and sharing a meal. I don't think that was by mistake. I think that was by design because sitting around the table, you're generally like close enough, looking each other in the eye, you can have some really wonderful conversations and God can be praised through what's happening there. And I'm a big fan. He can be praised and you can grow. You know, yes. we've, equ we've equated uh, growing in our faith to walking through a written Bible study. Yep. And I just, you know, we had such deep conversations the few times that I went to what you're talking about, Wyatt, deep conversations about faith relevant to what was going on in our lives at the time. And 
the the life group that we were part of for 10 years, the same thing. It was, you know, tough life situations that we were going through and how we applied our faith to it. And that was not walking through a Bible study, but it was going to the Bible, going to scripture. Like, what does God say about this stuff? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that, and that's also a great place like where you can bring those doubts and those questions or, Hey, I'm really struggling with this, or I don't know if I agree with this. Well, let's talk about it. Like as with your friends, with your family. Yeah. Um, but also too, I think some of that is like that, that dinner, all of us studied and read and spent time learning and doing like that study part on our own, regardless, because someone who's been following Christ for a long time, like I think the expectation is that you are spending a good amount of time in the word, thinking about these things and praying and, and having conversations with God and um, trying to grow in your faith. And perhaps maybe because that's become less common, we felt like we need these like written studies so that that can supplement for what you should already be doing on your own. And some of that, not the new believers, but like people who have been in it for a while. So, and some of that is probably true. I mean, I don't know that the church that churches that Paul and I went to, we spent a lot of time learning the Bible. We did. And some of those, you know, we look back and there were some, you know, some strange ways they did that, but it was foundational to just putting in those habits that we now have today that I think some of that, you know, in our, in our effort to, um, I don't know if it's this dramatic, but to continue to make the local church a relevant part of people's lives, we adjusted some things like that, that honestly, there is a segment of our next generation that doesn't know how to do that daily reading, praying, those kinds of things. And so we do have to put in things that that help that um, come along. Um, I still don't think, though, that it done in relationship is so much better than done in a class. Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, all I meant was just but, that, like, those types of, like, deep theological conversations came up naturally because it was yes. already top of mind. You're right. You yep. know, like, we yep. did it anyways. We weren't studying something in particular, but we were all studying something. And then we could bring in, like, our combined different things we were learning or wrestling with. I don't know. I just thought it was really awesome because it wasn't all about the same stuff. It's like, okay, well, I know what. Good. We can move on to the next question or whatever. Yeah. So can I ask a question? Am I allowed to ask a question? I guess so. (laughs) Man. What? Changes up everything. I know. So what do we change then to be different, to be something uh, people look to as a different way in our culture today? What do we change? Because we've been doing the type of, yes, our focus is unique in that we really do try hard to make space for questions and for people who are seeking. Um, But the way that we do church isn't super unlike how a lot of evangelicals are doing church. So what do we change? That's, That's the kind of thing that I'm, you know, why I wanted to bring this up is, those are the things I'm wrestling with. And I don't know that evangelicals have figured, figured out what that, what that looks like for this next generation. Have people been told 
Like, ha- how many pastors have you heard get up and tell their congregation or or anybody, either group leaders or whatever, like, hey, um, the way that we're going to be effective is you guys inviting people to your house for dinner. I've never heard those words spoken ever before. Um, I mean, I know that it, it's more than just saying that, but like, if we want that to happen, saying it's a good place to start. And so um, that, and then also mirroring that. So like my dad and my mom are super hospitable. So they just jumped in and started doing that anyways. Right. And not everybody is, is gifted in that way. Um, you get it in some kind of way. And so do you have to be gifted. Huh? To, do you have to be gifted to be friendly and hospitable? No, I think some people are probably, I think, I think hospitality, a spiritual gift. Yes. That's all I meant. Oh, okay. But no, you don't have to be. Cause I wouldn't say that I necessarily am, but I love having people over. <laughs> yeah, all I'm saying is it's not a gift. It's not a profession. It's no. not a title. Just be friendly to your neighbors yeah. and your friends. And that includes having them over for dinner or going out to eat or spending time with it. It's not about a project. It's just about love thy neighbor. I mean, who, who said that? I mean, I said, Jesus creed right there. So, um, no, I, I, I know what you're saying. And it's interesting. Look at the people enfolded into the lives of your parents now because of that kind of hospitable, warm nature of them hosting things at their home. I mean, I can think of four or five names like that, Mm. whose experience in our church is deeper, fuller, richer because of your parents' hospitality. Not even a stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Could it be as simple as helping people understand you know, we live in this world of individuality, that everything is about you and your mm-hmm. success, your individual drive, your individual job, your individual um, happiness, pursuits, and all Beliefs those things. Beliefs, too. Beliefs. It's an individual salvation that we've kind of grown up with. Is just the recognition is that that isn't what Jesus meant, that it isn't about you. It isn't about you. And it's about, and your, your folks, I think, are a good example of that. They, they intuitively recognize this isn't just about me. This is about who God created me to, to impact around me. And when you come and just sit in a service or you critique a talk or a worship and decide to go to a different talk or different worship, or not that that's a bad thing, but when it's because it's all about what individually are feeling or you individually are um, walking out as a Christ follower, you're never going to plant roots because it's about you, not about those around you and who you, you're impacting. And I think we spend a lot of time on your faith walk. You well, be with Jesus. You, not your spiritual journey. Don't say that. The I, didn't, stuff. I didn't. I didn't. But it, right. we do, right? We we tell yeah. you no, it's we your do. journey. We it's cater your, to individualism. It's yeah. your study. It's your. It's individual, and we rarely talk about. Um, it's all of us together making that happen. Yeah, like we as a group are the only way that it's going to look different to somebody else. Yeah, whenever I teach an elective at Cibolo, 
I always make it a point at each evening that we gather. I make it a point to take the time to say, hey, have, do you know these people? Like, introduce one another. Otherwise, they could come in, sit in the chair, listen to me, download information, and then leave. And I'm always like, but that's not the point. This is just really a, a, an opportunity for me to see you guys get connected. And hopefully over the period of four or five weeks of whatever the study is, some people are making connections. They start getting each other's names. They have a, you know, now they have a shared experience with each other beyond just the Sunday morning service because the end isn't download information. The end is connect people to family. And you have to be really intentional. So you were talking about like, what could the church do? Or you were asking, I mean, this, seriously, this has existed in my mind for a long time, but pulling the trigger on something like this would totally blow things up for a time. What if there weren't chairs? There was just tables, tables and chairs in circles on a Sunday morning. That was the auditorium. And you came in and you sat around a table. And then the sermon and even the worship, it was just engineered differently to get people talking rather than the pastor doing all the talking to get them doing the talk. The pastor's message was just some sort of creative prompt to get people discovering. And sure, there'd be all sorts of introverts and all sorts of people who were just consumers. They would run away from that so fast. But I think the depth of community that you could create if that was your Sunday experience it would be extraordinary. Because I, I look back at a couple of things that we've done through the years um, where we did that. The, the auditorium was set up as tables. I think of a New Year's service that we did. Um, what was the one? Taco. Taco. That was recent. Taco about it. Taco, Taco about, about it. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had. Dad we, joke title. We uh -huh. had. <laughs> I, it wasn't original to me. That's all Tiffany. I think that was <laughs> Tiffany. Um, but. When you think about those times where we've engineered a service around people in circles eating, they have been extraordinary Sundays. I mean, like off the charts different. I agree. And we just had this conversation in programming and Tiffany, our communications director said, you know, those Sundays where something's just different and you can feel it. That's what happened in those, those yeah. Sundays. Something like that one, different. the one we did, um, we knew we couldn't get enough tables to seat everybody. So we just had, we, we had the rows set up and we did some semblance of like a service presentation. And then they, they went and got food and they came back in the auditorium. They just circled up chairs and it looked like a bomb went off in there. There's no order to the chairs. It's just. People, Chaos. <laughs> people finding each other. And then we released the kids and the kids were coming in there eating with families and they were crawling all over moms and dads. But the conversations and the connection that was happening there yep. was extraordinary. What if that was your weekly experience? There's one other one be that reminded difficult. me as you're talking about it was when we didn't have electricity. Yeah. yeah. And everything was unplugged and we didn't have any choice but to just do what yeah. we could do. 
And it again, it was that sense of like, well, we're just kind of all in this together experience together, and here we go. And the number of people who said, "Why don't we do that more often?" Yeah, like unplugged. Yeah, yeah. And again, I I think how a church, how the leaders of the church handle a situation like that, communicates a lot. Um, you know, we could have gotten all wigged out because oh no, we don't have electricity, and just created something very tense. Or you can just go, hey, folks, <laughs> what else are we going to do? We don't have any re- electricity. It's beyond our control, but we're all here together. So let's let's worship. Let me share what was on my heart. And it just had a warmth and a genuineness to it all that even with all the work we do as leaders to try to be genuine and warm and you know really embody that, it was just something out of the ordinary that day and it turned into something extraordinary. It's amazing how something like that happens, you just immediately start to like, you give yourself allowances for things not being perfect and then it turns out better. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's like, really good. Huh? I like that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh. So maybe God's in this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was relying a little too much on myself. Yeah, right? Yeah. No, it's true. No, I like the idea and, and you said, you know, it would upend everything, but I think Jesus was kind of like that. Right. Start doing it. Let's start slow. Start doing it once a month, but it's random. They never know when it's coming. (laughs) So that way they can't avoid it. They'd be walking up the sidewalks going, Uh are there tables or chairs in there? (laughs) That's so true. Or not telling you until you're in the auditorium. And you can't (laughs) leave. Doors closed. Can't leave once you're in there. Uh, Yeah, I think think there's a lot. If a church is really wanting that sense of family and community and connection to happen, I think they're going to have to be courageous to do some really dramatically different things than what all the other churches are doing, not for the sake of being unique, but for the purpose and the vision of creating a different level of connection than what a typical Sunday morning spectator service offers, provides. Yeah. Well, and even, and I know like (sighs) words are cheaper than doing something like that, I suppose. But like, I really do think that encouraging people that like they can do that, I guess, that they can actually just invite people. Not that they need uh, permission per se, but that that's something to be, um, I guess, applauded, that we applaud that type of, like what you're doing, you know, that type of behavior. And um, running initiatives to, get people excited about it or, you know, whatever. Like we run on initiatives for all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and and I know that we talk about people getting connected, but again, it's, we talk about it in the framework of kind of those more corporate sounding ways. And so people are, they're like, yeah, I know small groups, but it's like, well, what if we talk about those, like people hanging out at your house, you know, for dinner. And years ago we, we did a, a campaign, um, as you, would describe it, uh, they're called uh, Matthew parties. You know, so you take the story of Matthew inviting Jesus and Matthew's friends to his house so they could meet Jesus. So we invited people, hey, let's do Matthew parties. And so just invite your friends over to dinner. And the only thing that we're going to ask you to do is somehow very, you know, graciously and very uh, organically, just extend an invitation to come and visit our church. You don't have to witness to them, you know, quote unquote, you don't have to 
break out your Bible and have some kind of, just invite your friends over, have a meal together, barbecue in the back or do burgers and dogs, whatever the deal. Just, just throw a party at your house and invite friends to Cibolo Creek. And the truth of the matter is we had maybe, I don't know, three or four parties that actually took place. But it was fun to watch the energy of those hosts who did have a party and they were like, oh, well, this, this is evangelism I can do. I don't have to know, you know, some response to some complicated question that comes up with an, an apologetic kind of perspective of telling people about my faith. I, I can just love them and invite them to my church. And I know my church is a resource to, um, maybe help facilitate a spiritual, uh, growth. I was going to say journey, but evidently I'm not allowed to say. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's, there's other ways that we could be doing church that again, would be very disruptive and probably initially you'd, you'd watch more people not engage, but I think the people that did engage and as it blossomed, it could be extraordinary. I agree. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.